All right. Open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 27. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 27. Also, in the bag, we have a prayer card for Ethiopia team. So if you haven't grabbed that, please take one and keep us in your prayers. Amen? Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 27. You're there? Amen? All right. The Word of God says, The priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, and God heard them. For their prayers, prayers reached heaven, His holy dwelling place. Repeat after me. Their prayers reached heaven. Spirit of God, we ask that you would take each one of us in this sanctuary to the next level, God. And you're telling us tonight that the key to our next level is for us to go higher in our prayer lives, Lord. And so, Lord, we are ready to go. So, Holy Spirit, take us tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, my question to you is this. Are your prayers reaching heaven? Hmm? Or do you sometimes feel like your prayers are bouncing off the wall as you're praying? It says, their prayers reached heaven. You know, I don't know about you, but I am so excited about where we are as a church. Anybody? I mean, God is just moving mightily from the renew. I mean, beginning of this year, God's been just breaking through, huh? And through the re- renewal services, God just took us to the next level. And then through the 21 days of prayer, I mean, supernatural miracles just broke out among us. And each one of us, God's just taking us to a higher level of faith, isn't he? Just just amazing. And you, everybody's sensing, it's like, this is amazing, but this is just the beginning. Hmm? God is continuously taking us higher and higher and higher and higher, isn't he? And th- I, th- I hear the Lord say this to us. The key to your next level, because he's taking us higher again. And the key to your next level is prayer. Everybody say prayer. God wants us to take a place where our prayers are so effective, your family members, your church members, your your co-workers, even unbelieving friends and families are calling you, please pray for me because they can deny the power of your prayer. Do you know anybody like that? But every one of you, God is going to take you to a next level. Your prayers are going to be so effective, immediate, and so powerful. Many people will come knocking on your doors. Hmm? So, how do we go to that next level? How do we pray? Today, I want to talk about Three characteristics of an effective prayer. Okay, you ready? So I want to give you a background of Second Chronicles. What happened was when Hezekiah became a king, 
he looked around and he saw that Israelites had backslid. They had turned away from God and they were serving the idols. The temple has been neglected. The gold, everything. A king before Hezekiah has given all that away to the enemies. The temple was broken down. People were not serving God. And so Hezekiah commanded. He opened the doors of the temple once again. He commanded, repair the temple and consecrate yourselves to God. Hezekiah called the Levites and the priests, and he told them this. Chapter 29, verse 11. My sons, do not, everybody say, do not. Be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you. Everybody say, chosen me. To stand before him and serve him, to minister before him. God is saying, living hope, sons and daughters, do not be negligent now. For God has chosen you to do what? To stand before him and minister before him. And that ministry is prayer. Hmm? When the temple was cleansed, you know what Hezekiah did? He gathered all the leaders and they went to the temple and they offered sacrifices. Everybody say sacrifices. They sacrificed seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, seven male goats as a sin offering, asking God to forgive them. And as they offered sacrifices, the whole assembly bowed in worship, they said. And when the offerings were finished, the king and everyone knelt down and worshipped. And then the king told them, bring, bring sacrifices and thank offerings. And they brought 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep and goats. You think, Oh, it's just a number. Yeah, 600, you know, 3,000. Imagine, you tried to bring one of them. You tried to lead one of them somewhere. They brought all those. And not only did they bring, you know what they had to do? They had to kill it. They had to, I mean, they had to, I mean, I've made some chicken, you know, and I had to cut it and take all the intestine out, you know, fat out. That's a dirty work. I mean, when I barbecue that chicken, it's delicious. But to get my chicken to get there, it's a lot of work. Just one chicken. Imagine 600 bulls. You know how big those bulls are? And 3,000 sheep. And that's a lot of hard, dirty work. But they did it with joy. And then Hezekiah sent out a proclamation to the entire country, instructing everyone to return to God and serve him by gathering in Jerusalem. And the scripture said that when a lot of people received that letter, you know what they did? They scorned and ridiculed Hezekiah and his messengers. You know, when your pastor says, come to prayer Friday night at 7, you know that attitude, whatever. kind of similar don't be afraid at that time however a lot of them came and they sought God they removed the altars of idols from Jerusalem listen to this 
Okay, it's not same, different sacrifice, okay? When they returned, they offered 2,000, not 600, 2,000 bulls and 17,000 sheep and goats. And a great number of priests consecrated themselves. 17,000. Hmm? You know, they don't just do, you know, a few and then rest of them just put them in the fire. No. They've got to do all the hard work for each one of them. And God is calling living hope to go to the next level through prayer. And my question is, how will you respond? Would you scorn? Hmm? Or would you submit, come, obey, and go to your next level? God is calling you and I to consecrate ourselves as his priests today. God was pleased with Hezekiah and his followers. That's why uh, what we read here, Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 27, it says that when priests and the Levites stood to bless the people, God heard them and that their prayers reached heaven, his dwelling place. You know what I desire? I desire a prayer movement here at Living Hope as the days of Hezekiah. Mm. Are you ready? Are you ready to do this? It can't be nonchalant, okay, whatever. No, you, you, you have to be determined. You have to be committed if you want a next level of prayer life. Hmm? So how do we offer up effective prayers? like Hezekiah. Number one, I told you, I'm going to talk about three characteristics. Number one, we need to speak God's language. You need to engage by speaking God's language. You must engage God's heart by speaking His language. Hmm? We need to engage His heart. He said that in Isaiah... 56, 7, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. If that's God's heart, what about your heart? When was the last time your heart was broken for another nation? When was the last time your heart was broken for the city of Emeryville? I'm not talking about, I believe, but I'm talking about breaking and weeping. Have you ever had a conversation where your mind and your heart were disengaged and you just could not wait until that conversation was over? A couple of you. You know, in the beginning of my relationship with Benjamin, man, all we did... Uh, hey, wait, 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 listen. See, you're going too fast. All we did was we talked about God and our hunger for God. That's how he fell in love with me. We were in Ghana, Africa, and we were just sharing how much we hunger for God, how we were desperate for God. And Benjamin prayed that night, God, give me, give me a wife like Sonny. And then he said he woke up the next morning <laughs> with some extra feelings towards me. <laughs> but you know, you know, when you marry somebody, you don't 100% get, 
24-7 talk about your hunger for God. There's other stuff that we talk about. And I remember in the beginning, he kept wanting to talk about poetry, poems. And, you know, he would stand up and he would, like, you know, recite the stuff that I don't even understand. And, you know, he wanted my heart to engage him. Baby, what is that? Something about, all I remember was his foot. That's, that's all I remember, the picture, the poem that he, was, he kept reciting over and over. And, you know, it runs his family. My first, my first Thanksgiving or Christmas, I couldn't wait until their family dinner to end so that we could go to my family dinner, my side. But he went for hours. Four, five, six hours, right? So I'm thinking, okay, hurry up and end because my family, you know, they're waiting for me, right? And then when I thought it was going to be over, one of his uncles stood up and recited this whole, what did he do? Martin Luther's? That was long. From beginning to the end. And the whole Robinson's like, you know, reciting it with them, you know, the endings. And their, their hearts were engaged. But you know what? My heart was not engaged. I was irritated, frustrated, angry at my husband that he keeps ignoring my, you know, signs. Sometimes when another person talks about something that you're not really interested in, you dread that conversation, don't you? You avoid. You know, every time, you know, you're pretty, all that person want to talk about is, you know, what kind of brand this shirt is and this shoe and how much, you know how much this shoe costs? (laughs) That's inside joke. It's okay. But sometimes it's like, You know, your heart disengages even before. Hmm? Imagine, what if your child, your one and only, what if your wife, what if your son, your husband, what if your loved one is falsely accused of murder and is in jail? What would you do? You would want every person that you know to know the truth, and pray with you so that you could get your daughter, your husband, your somebody, your loved one out of jail, wouldn't you? And so what would you do? You go to your best friend and you want, you want to guess what happened to my baby. And you, you want that person to engage their heart. But then they don't want to hear about it. Your best friend, all she wants to talk about is what happened at her work. And she keeps going on and on about her, her, uh, her, her uh, uh, boss who criticizes everything that she does, would your, would your heart be engaged in that conversation? Shh. Why? Because your heart is aching for your loved one. You, it's hard for you to engage in someone's complaining when your loved one is in jail, falsely accused. Huh? You see? Conversation is engaged when we speak about what is in each other's heart. Therefore, when we pray, we need to move God's heart by engaging Him in what His heart is crying out for. You know, 
I heard that a lot of Africans, you know, in Africa, they come, you know, when they meet together, they would say, I I was in Argentina last night. I was in, I don't know, uh, Paraguay last night. And and this pastor was saying they they weren't really there. But when they say that, that means they were in all-night prayer interceding for that nation that they have never been to. They know how to seek God's kingdom first. How often, I want to ask you once again, when was the last time your heart was broken for another nation? Because you know what? God's heart. If you want to engage in God's heart, you need to get there. Because there are countries, there are unreached people groups that have never heard of the gospel, that have never heard of the name Jesus. God's loved ones, God's sons and daughters are, are, are bound by the enemies. And we want to talk about parking lot prayers, favors, and when are you going to give me my next computer? Or It's hard. It's hard. I mean, God is interested. I'm not, I'm not you know what, God cares for our interests. God cares for what we love and what, what we desire. But you know what? It, it, it's hard. When your loved ones are dying. Hmm? Let's go beyond our immediate needs. Parking lot favors. And let's go Let's go ask the Lord to give us his heart for the nations. Hmm? All right. So heart connection. Are you interested in what's in God's heart? You want to be an effective prayer warrior? You have to engage God. You have to engage God's heart. You got to speak his language. Amen? Number two, attitude. Everybody say attitude. The second important aspect of effective prayer that touches God's heart is our attitude towards the problems we face in life. Okay? James 5.13 states, Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. See, problems and challenges are everywhere. We live in a fallen world. We shouldn't be shocked when it comes our way. Whether you invite them or not, they'll come. You know, some people say that every door to a blessing has a big sign that says problem hanging on it. See, don't run away from your problems. You need to run towards it. Every problem under the sun is, everybody say, solvable. God has anointed his people to solve problems. But so many people, so many of God's people, we run away from the problems and we wonder where our breakthrough of blessings are. Hmm? A lot of successful men and women of God said that their success have been the accumulation of the problems they have solved. Hmm? When problems and difficult situations come our way, we often complain. We get depressed. 
We get overwhelmed and disillusioned. We get mad at God. We get mad at our family members. That's exactly what the Israelites did in the wilderness, huh? And they prolonged their time in the wilderness through their complaining. Some even forfeited their blessing of entering the promised land. Because when they saw the problem, hmm, their attitudes weren't right. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, Paul and Silas, for the gospel, they got beaten and they were put in jail. And after they had been severely flogged and thrown into prison, about midnight hour, what did they do? Paul and Silas prayed and they sang hymns to God while the other prisoners listened to them. And all of a sudden, violent earthquake shook the foundation of the prison. All the prison doors opened wide and the, all the chains came loose. And what happened to the jailer? The jailer asked, what can I do to get saved? What would you do? You try to do the right thing for God. You give your offering and you, you feel like you don't have enough money to pay your bills. You, you, you try to go to church. You try to do the right thing. You try to share the gospel. You try to tell another person on the street about the gospel and they cuss at you and then you get all mad. All discouraged. I'm not anointed for this. I don't know what I'm doing. Our attitude. You know, Jackson, Pastor Jackson, what's his last name? Sinyanga. He said in the beginning of his ministry, he was so poor that he only owned one pair of pants and one pair of shirts. And he didn't even have money to buy an underwear. And the last pair of slacks that he owned had many holes. In that culture, you have to tuck in your, your, your shirt. But he couldn't tuck in because it had holes. So he had to let it out to cover the holes. One day they decided to have this big open air crusade. When the Muslims in that area heard that Christians were having a service, you know what they did? Right across the field they opened theirs. And you know, just like um, uh, what's Elijah time, like with the prophet Baal, they, I mean, he would preach, and then, you know, they would do their thing, and it was like back and forth preaching battle. But he was excited. He was preaching, and he was preaching about the God, their God. He owns everything in the world, and when he made that comment, he expected the Christians in the crowd to say, yes, amen. But when he made that, there was silence, and he got confused, and so. Well, let's try it again. Our God is the creator, and he owns everything. Silence. He didn't understand. So he started to move around in circle. Our God owns everything. He started just preaching. Silence. Until later on, he realized that when he reached up to make his point, their shirt was lifted and his glory was revealed. This is not the end of the story. The Muslims, fat, rich clothes, walked to him and said, Son, hmm, so your God owns everything, huh? 
Your God owns everything, but he doesn't even take care of his servants? You, you can't even uh, afford to buy yourself a new pair of pants? I, I, we think you need to upgrade to another God who will bless you. They mocked him. Can you imagine that? How would you feel? What would you have done? You would go home and you would be so disillusioned, so embarrassed, so mad at God. Can, imagine the devils laughing at Pastor Jackson, thinking we got one of them. Hmm? However, Pastor Jackson did not pay attention to those mockings. He still continued to serve God. He went back to that field the next day with the same clothes because that's all he had. And he preached his heart out. He preached his 